This morning we have uh, uh, the privilege of what will be two Sundays in which uh, we do mission emphasis uh, here in our congregation. And so this week and then, uh, next Sunday we'll have guest preachers uh, who will be uh, sharing and speaking. Uh, and this morning we have a very special treat. It's, uh, for me it's kind of like going in the Wayback Machine a little bit. Uh, Dr. Corey Slosser Hall is, uh, is, is here. He, uh, he works with the General Assembly. I'll let him share a little bit more about his, his new position or newest position at this point, uh, but he'll share a little bit about that. But I met Corey uh, when I was a part of what was then uh, North Puget Sound, the Presbyterian North Puget Sound. It's now the Northwest Coast something. It's a huge, massive uh, piece of real estate, uh, Presbytery. It uh, includes Alaska and, and goes all the way from Nia Bay out to like central Washington. So it's this large, large uh, piece of real estate. But uh, Corey is uh, part of the General Assembly, but he lives here locally. And so we're delighted to have Corey here this morning. So Corey, please come and share God's word with us. Well, good morning, John Knox Presbyterian Church. And thanks be to God for this gathering of people to listen to God's word and wonder, what does it have for us? And thank you for the warm welcome this morning. Everything from the first time I walked in the door to share a donut, even in the moment of mourning, <laughs> to Jimmy's warm welcome, this is fabulous. I have to say, yes, I did. Uh, the last time I was here at John Knox Presbyterian Church was in probably 2004. I served on staff at the Presbytery of Seattle for four years, and uh, I was here for worship a few times and enjoyed you then. So if you were here then, I may have met you at that point. But then I went to serve in what was then the North Puget Sound Presbytery, which became the Northwest Coast Presbytery uh, in 2006, and did that up until February of this year. And uh, like Jimmy said, it, it, was quite a, it was quite a spread. We started a happy little clan in northwest Washington, and then we included southeast Alaska and central Washington. And so we fondly said, you know, living the gospel from Kennewick to Ketchikan. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and from Yakima to Yakutat. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, but I have to tell you, um, it's been a while since I've been here, but I, it seems like you're doing well. Now, you can tell me, confirm that, or otherwise afterwards, but one of the reasons why I know that is because somehow some people among you were wise enough to call Jimmy a couple years ago, thanks be to God, and that tells me a lot about who you are. And I also have to tell you, the first time I met Jimmy, it was about this time of year, and he had a, you know, a bandana around his head. He had cut off t-shirt type thing. And it was at this time of year, so you knew he was a little crazy. Because he was just about ready to go and practice with the youth group at North Creek for their annual rivalry flag football game against Calvin Presbyterian Church. So I knew Jimmy was game, or shall we say, spiritually awake and ready to serve from many years ago. And speaking of rivalries, I have a confession to make this morning. I'm an Oregon duck. I know. That was quite a last four minutes, I got to tell you guys. I said to my wife, I said, I can't take this defense. And uh, I have to go take a walk. 
And there were four minutes left. I came back, and the Huskies were up by three, and it was over. Oh, so painful. But I tell you, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm counting on you, John Knox Presbyterians. I'm counting on you to be people who you say you are, shaping generations to lead lives that reveal God's grace rather than God's gloat. <laughs> so may you be people as you say you are and go easy on a duck today. Oh, my gosh. Well, hey, we are... Um, we're digging in in this first Sunday uh, uh, that you're reflecting on God's mission in the world. And it was such a, it, it's so encouraging to come and see the way that you are partnered with a variety of organizations and agencies and people that you together in, with your hands and feet are engaged in living the way Jesus just taught us to live in the Gospel of Matthew. Thanks be to God. So thank you, John Knox Presbyterians, for being these kinds of people. And I want to reflect on that a little bit, uh, share the, this with you, Matthew 25, because I now serve the Presbyterian Mission Agency. And uh, we have about 75 people who serve as mission co-workers all around the world in 75 different countries. We have about 150 people who serve stateside, if you will, or in, uh, in a variety of forms of mission engagement. I'm one of them. I uh, serve as what we call the Deputy Executive for Vision and Innovation. I know it's a big name, too many syllables like most Presbyterian things. But, um, uh, but what it means is that I get to work with people as they're seeking to innovate and identify a fresh way forward in congregations, presbyteries, and in the national church. And it's a great joy to be able to do this. So um, I want you to know that the, this agency, which is a partner with you, uh, it grounds, it infuses, it focuses its whole mission engagement on this gospel, the gospel of Matthew 25, if you will. We actually call our vision a Matthew 25 vision. And we are formed by what Jesus is teaching his disciples. And this is a pretty pinnacle moment in the gospel of Matthew because this is the very last teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples before, in those days, it goes downhill. And then he went uphill. But after that, immediately following this teaching becomes the betrayal and comes eventually his crucifixion. And then, of course, we know that's not the end of the story, thanks be to God. But this whole passage is what infuses the mission of the Presbyterian Mission Agency. And we but we need to reincarnate it, if you will, or incarnate it, or tangibilitate it, I like to say, in new ways for new contexts and new days. And so what we have indicated is that our Matthew 25 vision is formed by three key priorities that we invite our congregations and presbyteries and others to participate in together. The first is developing and building congregational vitality. We think that congregations are the place in which the consciousness that Jesus was talking about, being people who see those who are vulnerable, being people who see those who are oppressed, being people who see those who are overlooked and unseen by others, a place in which that consciousness gets nurtured, gets built, gets developed, and gets encouraged and challenged to become the hands and feet of Christ, that is congregational vitality. We think of congregational vitality as nurturing people 
who are spiritually awake and ready to serve. So people who are spiritually awake to what God sees in the world. And Jesus is trying to train his disciples on God's sight, God's vision, what God sees in this chapter. And being people who are ready to engage their community, who are ready and do that in earnest and in, in useful ways. And I see it in you just by walking through your narthex. And I see it in you just by talking to a few people this morning, your willingness to engage in that way. There was a particular story of congregational vitality that I uh, learned about several years ago because I got to meet Danielle and Kevin Riley. Danielle and Kevin Riley are now pastors in Concrete, Washington. How many of you have been to Concrete? Ha <laughs> ha! Look at you! Gateway to the North Cascades, right? Is that why you were there? I love it. There's a little church in Concrete, Washington called Mount Baker Presbyterian Church. It was a part of the Presbytery of the Northwest Coast where I served. And Danielle and Kevin Riley, 12 years ago or so, were living out of their car. They were, they were homeless. They were experienced addiction to a variety of things. They also, because of their situation, they were arrested several times and incarcerated. But God found them in a profound way. And God, through the ministry of Tierra Nueva, through the ministry of Mount Baker Presbyterian Church, God found them, helped reshape their lives, and created them to become ready to serve. Now they are pastoring the Mount Baker Presbyterian Church in Concrete, Washington. And they are helping to pave that same path for others around them. So not only are they caring for individuals, but they're seeking to shift the conditions of their community so that those who are living in poverty, those who are experiencing the unseenness of life that Jesus talks about here can be seen, can be cared for, and can see their lives transformed. And I wanted to share with you a short video of Danielle and Kevin because of something pretty spiritually significant that happened. So I'm going to ask our folks if you wouldn't start the video back there. But this is a story of what happened not long after they began pastoring. Tom Wenzel was a Mount Vernon police officer. My first interaction with him was I was pinned to the parking lot of Safeway in Mount Vernon because I was being accused of stealing some food from Safeway. He arrested me that day. Fast forward a couple weeks later, he, he arrests Danielle. You know, so we did not have good interactions with, with Tom at all. Uh, and after we got clean and sober, uh, I was doing some uh, out-of-custody work crew uh, jail alternatives. So instead of spending time in jail, I was working for the city of Mount Vernon on this work crew. Uh, and Tom decided to retire from becoming a police officer and took over that work crew. And then I remember, uh, I remember walking to work crew his first day. Um, and just praying incessantly like God God just helped me get through this and uh, and when he opened up the door he didn't even recognize me because I was clean and I was sober and we sat down and we started having a conversation and uh, I told him about my journey um, and then he made me the lead of that work crew and about two weeks in he goes you know this is a jail sentence and I have the ability to give you good time how'd you like tomorrow to be your last day 
And I'm like, I would, I would love that. <laughs> He's like, cool, man, tomorrow's your last day. You don't have to come back. And so then we just kind of kept staying in touch. Um, Kevin, at that point, uh, was really strong in, in his faith. And, and he talked to me about God a lot. And I said, yeah, 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 Kevin, okay. And, and it was always a really neat relationship with him on that because he never shoved it down my throat. He just kept saying, God is good. And good things are happening. That's God. Yeah, 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 Kevin. You know, I've kind of always done the right thing. And I kind of believe in karma. You know, that was my, that was my go-to. When we were getting ready to do the public information meeting for the homeless shelter, I called Tom and I was like, I'm going and doing this by myself in front of all these angry people and I could use some support. And he came. And then he started coming to the church. Um, then he did a sermon with me on forgiveness and reconciliation. And then uh, he met a girl. And then that girl started tilling the soil and watering the seeds of, of Jesus that I had planted. And after us just loosely staying in conversation, he asked to take me out to breakfast one day. and said sure and went and met him for breakfast and um, he's telling me all about how he's going to marry this girl that he'd met and he goes but you know I've decided to give my life over to Jesus and I want to get baptized the day before my wedding and I want you to baptize me. And all of a sudden everything just fell into place for me from Kevin having originally planted the seed to my wife cultivating it and and making it real so there I was guess what God's real <laughs> who'd have thunk it 60 years almost to the day and all of a sudden it's real it was it was a beautiful day on the river um, and Danielle and I had learned our lessons from a previous baptism that we needed to have him sit down first before we ducked him. We didn't. We we learned that the hard way. My but cousin is a tall drink of water. Yeah, <laughs> but we baptized him that day, and he just came up out of the water sobbing. It was it was amazing. Yeah. And all I remember from that was Kevin talking to me, and he lowered me into the water, and there was just absolute peace and calm. And then I felt them trying to pull me back up, and I was like, I'm not ready yet. I'm, I'm liking this. Just, just now nah, they jerked me out of the water. And, and so to think back from 15 years ago, whatever it was, middle of the night in a parking lot with two people strung out on, on drugs, living in a truck, and me arresting them to them probably being my best friends, it's just absolutely amazing has come full circle like that. Like that's been the whole journey for us is God repairing and restoring all of the broken relationships and all the broken pieces of us. And I mean, it's still a process, but that was just one more evidence of his power <laughs> in our story. Nobody is beyond resurrection. Hallelujah. This is what happens every day in God's economy and God's way of being in the world is that people who once found each other through being an arrestor and the arrested are now partners in Christ, seeking to welcome others to becoming spiritually awake and ready to serve. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. And this can happen in any place, in any size, in any way. Concrete Washington, this little congregation, is a congregation of about 40 people, about 35 or 40 people. They're doing robust, amazing work in Concrete Washington. This can also happen in a place like 
even a place like Bothell, Washington, where the Community Church of Seattle exists. And you should see this is one of the most innovative, creative, energetic congregations I've ever experienced. It's a mostly Korean-American congregation, but they, in terms of their congregational vitality, when the pandemic hit, they lived out that adage, never waste a good crisis. And they made changes in a whole bunch of what they were doing. I want to tell you just one simple story of what happened during that time. They had a... um, they had a, uh, what we would call a vacation Bible school kind of ministry in the summer. And when they were in person, it's a large congregation. When they were in person, they had about 700 kids at this vacation Bible school. Right? I know, it's a lot, isn't it? But th- th- this, was a, th- this is a larger congregation. It's mostly Korean American. They do amazing stuff. So they had about 700 kids involved in this Bible school. Pandemic hit. Can't meet. How are we going to do this? That first summer of 2020, they said... We're going completely, this is going completely online. We're going to do a Bible school. And, but they said, you know what? We're not going to whine about it. We're going to reach more kids. So they said, let's go for it. In fact, let's create a stretch goal of reaching 1,000 kids this summer. And guess how many they reached? 1,500. I know, pretty cool. And they were from all over the country rather than just those who could make it by car or bus or walking. So they reached 1,500. And then they said, oh my gosh, there's something here. Let's team up. And they teamed up with a, a, a media studio, if you will, rather than thinking they could do it all themselves. They teamed up with a media studio and they said, you know what, we think we can reach and connect with more kids through a ministry like this. And so they said, we're going to create a stretch goal for 2021. Let's go for 10,000. <laughs> I know. I said that. I heard that Daryl Kim was talking to me. I said that we're going for 10,000. I kind of thought, are you nuts? That's... Uh, that's a little crazy. You got, I know 1,500 was great. 10,000? Well, guess how many they reached? 15,000 kids. I know. So there are things in which there, there are ways in which people are orient themselves to becoming more spiritually awake, ready to serve, and taking audacious steps to do that. And it's happening all over the country, including right here in our backyard, which is pretty cool. Congregations are growing vital by taking these steps of growing spiritually awake and ready to serve. But there's a couple other aspects of the mission agency Matthew 25 vision that requires us to even lean more into the possibility of God's audacious vision. We say, in addition to congregational vitality, we want to eradicate systemic poverty. I know. Really? That's a bit much. And we also want to dismantle racism. Now you're messing around. This is stuff that feels too big, too much. Is God can really make that possible? Can God do that? Well, and there's, uh, uh, 
we certainly believe God can, and we see it happening in pockets all over the country and all over the world where poverty is being addressed and the ways and conditions of community are being shifted to remove the conditions that leave people in poverty. And congregations all over the country are taking steps to dismantle racism in themselves as they do that in their community and dismantle poverty in their own communities as they seek to do this. Take, for instance, Mountain View Community Church, part of the Denver Presbytery. So... Mountain View Community Church looked around themselves. This is a smaller, smallish congregation, you know, 100, 150 people. And they said, we see more and more people who are homeless. We don't understand that. We don't know why that's happening. We, don't, we, we need to learn more about why that's happening, and we need to do something about it. We've got a food pantry. We've got all of these things that help to alleviate a person's hunger. You know, but the peop- it seems like the number of people who are growing more hungry and are growing more homeless is growing around us. Our strategies of alleviating a person's hungry as we listen to Jesus say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, and strategies for alleviating him weren't enough. They had to move upstream. They had to go upstream. They had to address something in their community that could change the conditions and that were producing more and more people in poverty. So they looked around and they said, What can we do? And what could God do with us? And they noticed there was a whole bunch of their own property that they weren't using as much as they thought they might. So they said, what could God do with this? And then they invited Habitat for Humanity. And they said, Habitat, could you see something happen here with this kind of property that might help to alleviate and address some of the conditions in which people are homeless and impoverished and hungry. Habitat said, I think we could, but we can't do it on our own. They said, yeah, because, you know, we live in a place, we live in a neighborhood that may not be friendly to this, and we live in a place in which the laws and zoning wouldn't make creating affordable housing in this community possible. So they said, well, who do we turn to now? And they looked to their presbytery. And in the presbytery of Denver, they had a Matthew 25 strategy team. And that Matthew 25 strategy team said, we'll take care of it. That Matthew 25 strategy team went to the city council and they went to the neighborhood and they said, this is what we want to do. Here's why we want to build these relationships so that you can see what's happening here is something that's creating a healthier, stronger community rather than something that's going to be difficult in it. And Habitat, the city council changed the zoning laws. The neighborhood welcomed this thing and now they're building affordable housing on their property because they looked around to see what is in our hand that we could do something with that would allow us to go upstream, that would allow us to address what is going on to more and more people coming to our food pantry, that what are the conditions that are happening here? This upstream move is an important move for many congregations. We're great at doing the work that helps alleviate a certain person's situation. We aren't often the best at creating the pivot that helps us go upstream to address the conditions in the community that keep reproducing people who are impoverished. And that's one of the moves that people are making over and over and over again. For your namesake, Knox Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio. Adam Fronsek is the pastor there. 
And Knox Presbyterian Church discovered something interesting about their own structure, their own building. They discovered that when they built their own building in the late 1800s, that a major donor said, I'm giving this gift to build this building for a church of the white race only. So it's the equivalent of about $250,000 in today's terms was the gift at that time. It was a major contribution. So this community said, even though we were unaware of this, we know that this was part of the founding of our church and even our very structure. We said, we want to do something different with that. We want to confess, we want to seek forgiveness, and we want to create a new future for this. Even though none of the people who are there right now were there then, they said, nevertheless, we're part of this organization. Who is responsible for that? And we want to embrace that responsibility, and we want to go upstream and change the conditions for the future. So they did. They partnered with Third Presbyterian Church, which was primarily African-American. They formed a brand new community center called East-West Community in the city of Cincinnati. And a, a, and partnered with their African-American siblings and others to create a new set of conditions for kids growing up in this community. So from a founding of a church who was built in part by the benefaction of someone who wanted it to only be for white people, they have become now a part of creating more of what looks like the kingdom of God in their neighborhood, thanks be to God. So everywhere around the country and around the world, we're seeing people build congregational vitality, address systemic poverty, and deal with and dismantle racism in themselves and in their communities. This is, can feel too big, too much, until we lean into God's promise in the book of, of Acts and in the book of Philippians, which I think you're uh, uh, studying, uh, where God says, or the writer says, um, sorry, wrong book, Ephesians, you're studying Philippians, where the writer says, beyond all that you can ask or imagine, God can do this. Beyond what you can even ask or imagine, God can do this. And when we enter into that space, we start to see what's around us to change what is there to change, to live into Jesus's vision. Because remember, Jesus said, in this context, I am judging the nations based on how they treat people who are unseen by others. I am judging the nations, the countries, those who are responsible for creating the conditions in which we live by how they see those who are unseen, by how they respond to those who are hungry, by how they engage with those who are imprisoned and thirsty and sick. So thanks be to God for you, John Knox Presbyterian Church, and may God infuse your imagination with a little, even more audacity than you've already had. And watch God show up and show off in ways that you never imagined. In Jesus' name, amen.